Coming up today on Happy City Radio. There's a lot to see past the overpass. And often, mm-hmm. like, people living here don't see it. Mm-hmm. Tourists don't see it. Because we're not making it very feasible to get there. Imagine if you, if your mother could get to her doctor's appointment without you having to take the day off work and drive her in there. Mm-hmm. I'm from the Biran Peninsula, and, like, my grandmother, when she comes in for doctor's appointments has to take a four-hour shuttle like alone well i don't like to think of my 80 year old grandmother having this be like her only way to get in town for her eye appointment there is a kind of shadow transit system that exists Mm -hmm. but that's cobbled together by different government departments Mm -hmm. and different ways it's super inefficient and costly we're paying a lot of these costs already and we don't even take it into consideration because there's nobody's job inside the province to tot all this up and go, hmm, you know, or to look at the map of the region and look at all the different journeys people have to make and say, how can we make that easier for people? I'll use Skype as an example. For decades, people had said, we have the technology, teleconferencing is going to be super useful, people are going to be using video calls all the time. It never happened. As soon as it was, a way was found to make it free, mm-hmm. boom, this unmet demand was suddenly there. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially in a, in a situation like here, where the transit system has for a long time had a bad rap, and people don't even think about trying it out, that making a free transit system would reduce some of the operating costs of having to do all the fare collection and and all of that and would get a lot of people trying and using the transit system who hadn't before and give everyone a stake in a working transit system. You know, we all pay for road upkeep and nobody really very often pays a fare to drive on the road. It has a huge buy-in cost to be able to benefit from the tax dollars we all pay for roadway upkeep because the buy-in is like a very expensive vehicle mm-hmm. that costs a lot to maintain. So I think like bickering over a $225 transit fare when, when we could just make it free seems like something that is, it seems so meaningless in the grand scheme, but it's, it's a, like an inconvenience and a, and a tax on lower income people and, and makes their daily lives harder. For no no real benefit. You're listening to Happy City Radio, a co-production of CHMR Radio and Happy City St. John's. Welcome back, happy citizens, to Happy City Radio. Today we're joined by David Brake and Leah Movell as we discuss regional transit. My name is Jen Crow, and I'm the new chair of Happy City St. John's, and I'm joined by Rob Nolan, who's past chair of Happy City St. John's. So welcome, Leah and David. So we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. So I want to just kind of dive right in. um, And for those of us, those members of our audience who perhaps are less familiar with the concept of regional transit, um, can you explain a little bit what does regional transit mean and what are we referring to specifically when we talk about regional transit in Newfoundland and Labrador? Well, uh, obviously, Newfoundland is uh, the island is huge. I think about the organization that I run, uh, Central uh, Transit Association concentrates on the northeast Avalon and that's to me the region that is the the biggest focus Um, there is some room for uh, regional transit more broadly intercity but um, 
when I think about uh, regional transit, that's what I focus on because that's where the, the low-hanging fruit is, where that's where the, the bulk of the population that's dense enough to support a transit network resides. Mm-hmm. And David, can you speak a little bit as well to um, your current involvement with the regional transit conversation? Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get the ball rolling. I think one of the things that is uh, really disappointing is that uh, it, un- until uh, recently, thanks to my <laughs> colleagues' uh, sterling efforts, uh, we're starting to get things on the agenda. But really, I'm just struggling to uh, get there to be somebody who is responsible for talking about regional transit at the governmental level because uh, the province where regional transit would naturally reside um, has essentially washed its hands of the issue. Right. And you've been doing most of the advocacy work through the Essential Transit Association? Yes, that's right. Which is an organization that you founded, is that correct? Uh, no, I was uh, founded by someone else, but okay. I've, I've picked up the, the reins uh, a couple of years ago. Fantastic. We're happy that you did. Um, and Leah, do you want to add anything on that, like the conversation around what does regional transit mean to you and from your perspective? Yeah, I think regional transit uh, is and ought to be treated like an essential basic service mm-hmm. um, that we need for functioning communities. So no different than health or education or dare I say road upkeep. I think like we haven't in the past prioritized it and treated it like mm-hmm. the basic essential service that it is. and And that's what we need to do. Um, and prioritize it as though it's a service that our communities can't survive without because, you know, even though it's what we're doing, in in actuality, it is very unsustainable. So at the Social Justice Co-op, one of our main projects in the past year has been building the Coalition for Green New Deal for Newfoundland and Labrador. And transit is a really important piece of that because we know that like a large chunk of our greenhouse gases come from the way we get around. And for a lot of people living outside of the city, cars are their only option. So we're not going to be able to transform our province and build a more sustainable way of living together and getting around uh, if we don't prioritize it. And I'd like to see transit really high on the agenda before people make the mass switch to electric vehicles. I think it's a very good opportunity to give people another option before that happens. Leah, you mentioned the Social Justice Cooperative, mm-hmm. um, and you've been involved for the, with them for a little while. For listeners who aren't familiar with um, SJC, um, can you give a bit of background on the organization? Certainly. Um, the Social Justice Co-op sort of founded out of the ashes of the local Oxfam chapter. We sort of rebirthed as a co-op back in the Harper days when there were being a lot of restrictions being put on what nonprofits could do and say in the community and so the idea of having a cooperative was really to have an organization that wouldn't have to play it careful in terms of funding so what we want to encourage is like an environmental and social justice um, sort of transformation of our province and The co-op has been around for 10 years, uh, but we've really like upped our game in the past year in terms of our presence in the community and the Mm -hmm. projects that we're working on. You know, there's a lot of momentum right now around the climate crisis and climate justice. And we see the transition to um, a greener province as a really key opportunity uh, to transition to a fairer province too. So that's where the co-op what we're grounded in is is making sure that the green transition is a fair transition too 
and also just kind of like being a place in the community where people can sort of put their efforts um, for change and bringing people together to talk about like the problems that we're facing and, and what the gaps in services are, mm-hmm. whatever they may be. It happens, just so happens that like transit has become something that people have, resp- have responded really well to in the Coalition for a Green New Deal. And I think that's partially because there's an absence of that organizing here and we want to fill in those gaps. Mm-hmm. To dovetail from the why, which I think both of you have touched on really nicely, um, what are your personal visions for a more um, connected region in terms of transportation and transit? For me, I absolutely take on board the uh, the need to uh, improve the share of uh, transit for uh, green reasons and also for, for sound social justice reasons. But I also think the key to getting a good transit network going is for everyone to feel some sense of ownership and participation in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've come from uh, London, England and Toronto, where transit isn't for them or for some other people or something that we pat ourselves on the back for having some. It was really something that everybody used or felt that they could use, and uh, therefore um, it had a lot of a lot of momentum behind it and a lot of attention paid to it. Um, Transit-related stuff is front-page news in all these places. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Newfoundland is, of course, different, but it isn't totally different. <laughs> we need to be somewhere between the two ends of that spectrum, uh, and I feel that uh, by providing a much more workable uh, transit system, we can rebalance the balance in people's lives. Uh, maybe you're not going to get rid of if you have if you have a car and you feel you need a car. We're not we're not saying you have to get rid of that car, but if you feel that you have to have two or three cars, or if you feel you're driving all the time, shuttling people back and forth, you're. Uh, your children or your grandparents, then a workable transit system can be a solution to that problem. And and uh, even if you have the money to support this, why not save yourself a couple thousand bucks by uh, helping to provide a system that would work for yourselves and also uh, to the benefit of lots of people who could who could use this service. I think an important thing, a part of getting where we need to be in terms of transit is we have to like push the conversation a little bit outside of like how much it costs and whether or not it's feasible to set it up given how much it costs. Um, Because I find like in that conversation, something that's often missing is how much driving costs and that that cost is just put onto the individual or the family regardless of their means to meet that cost. And when there are no other options, people are forced to to work really pricey cars into their budgets, even if that's not entirely feasible. Um, and given that it's a basic essential service, I think like we all win in the long run if we if we pull that cost back away from the individual and the family and take it on socially as a community mm-hmm. and ensure like for me my vision for for regional transit is to be able to get around the province and into the city regardless of your age or socioeconomic status or uh, whether or not you have a certain disability, we have a really aging population in the province and and on the northeast Avalon, for example, and a lot of seniors need 
to travel to the city for specialist appointments and and things like that. And like, you know, the older people are getting, the more burdensome the task of having to like drive in for that is. Mm -hmm. And it's unnecessary. Like there are other parts of the world where transit has been prioritized and where you can get around without like driving a huge clunking, polluting, expensive, dangerous vehicle. And it's, I think it's really like a, not a very good use of resources in, in terms of how we can do mobility together as a community. I think that we need to look at like how can we connect regional hubs to the city. Mm-hmm. Something I talked about in the election that I was surprised the uptick it got in sort of like local conversation is like bringing back a train it sounds kind of like a wow idea at first but there's no reason why we couldn't do that like we're going to have a surplus of electricity we could power an electric train and have like regional hubs that one could get to by a shuttle or a bicycle so that it would be easier to get around and and it'd be nice um it'd be i think a good way for people to take advantage of everything that exists in different parts of the province there's a lot to see past the overpass and often Mm -hmm. like people living here don't see it Mm -hmm. tourists don't see it because we're not making it very feasible to get there that's such a good point also love trains so i'm like (laughs) definitely here for that you so one thing that's really interesting about both of you folks is that you've both um run for politics uh so leah most recently in the federal election as the um ndp avalon candidate um and david in the most recent provincial election um in mount pearl southland so first of all thank you for putting your names on the ballot um we talk a good bit about that on this podcast um, about how important that is so want to thank you for that um but also in that process of campaigning sometimes that is like truly the best way to get a kind of temperature on where constituents are on certain issues. So specifically on the issue of transit and regional transit, what are you seeing as you know the benefits that constituents would experience um, if there were, was a more regional uh, model of transit um, on the Northeast Avalon? So like you know, we've talked a little bit about climate change, um, but um, the social, economic, other environmental, um, you know pluses uh, for a more regional model of transit? Um, I had a lot of fun talking to people (laughs) on the Avalon about transit because they live the struggle, right? Like some of them are working in St. John's and driving like hour, hour and a half commutes each way to and from work. You know, not to mention if they have to go to the hospital, drive their car and there's nowhere to park it. Mm -hmm. So like people understand the struggle and it's really fun to start imagining the potential of something else with people. And so when I was talking to constituents on the Avalon and just starting a conversation, like, what if you didn't have to drive? Mm-hmm. Um, and people were willing to go there with me and, like, imagine the the possibility of not having just driving as an option for getting around. And, you know, I think like the climate crisis is on people's radar and, and they know that there are things about our lifestyle that we need to change. And I think there's more of an openness to that than there was even just a handful of years ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I found it fun to talk to people about like, you know, imagine if you, if your mother could get to her doctor's appointment without you having to take the day off work and drive her in there. Mm. I'm from the Beeren Peninsula and like my grandmother, when she comes in for 
doctor's appointment has to take a four-hour shuttle like alone and I've taken the shuttle it sucks like I'm glad it's there because Mm. I wouldn't be able to get home otherwise I don't drive but it's super uncomfortable I don't like to think of my 80 year old grandmother having this be like her only way to get in town for her eye appointment Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think like healthier communities what is one of the biggest benefits of a good regional transit model because a lot of people do need to come into the city regardless of where they live in the province Mm -hmm. Um, my cousin was telling me not too long ago that her aunt almost lost her eyesight because she kept procrastinating coming into town for a doctor's appointment because it's such a hassle and just being able to get on like you know like a bus with lumbar support or like a train where you could talk to your neighbors and members of your community it's really i think exciting to imagine a different model mm-hmm. and it's i think it's a people are it's a good time to be imagining it i think people are ready to think about like what alternatives might look like and and how we can embrace them that's great to hear david do you want to weigh in from your work in the mount pearl area yeah, um, well, I, I wanted to go back to what, what you were saying earlier about um, there is a kind of shadow transit system that exists, mm-hmm. but that's cobbled together by different government departments mm-hmm. and different ways. It's super inefficient and uh, costly to be like having to, as you, as you said, like people are taking time off work to drive their relatives around or to drive their kids around. The government has a separate pots of money for low-income people that they have to justify by going a certain number of doctor's appointments. So doctors have to write them notes and doctor's time is expensive. All of these workarounds, a lot of that could be lifted if mm-hmm. we could just say, well, look, you know, here, here's a bus pass. And you can get to your hospital appointment or you can get your, if you're a kid, you can get into town and in, and enjoy and spend money in town on on things that are important to you mm-hmm. by taking the bus and of of course getting out of your car and walking to and from bus stops and so on walking around town a little is good for people's health mm-hmm. and the cost of healthcare keeps going up um it gets you out of it gets you out talking to your neighbors and being sociable the costs of isolation, particularly mm-hmm. for, for elderly people, are, are huge. You end up with mental health costs that fall to the, to the province. There's a whole kind of invisible set of costs that aren't taken into consideration when people go, oh, oh but, but look at the cost of, of transit. We're, we're paying a lot of these costs mm-hmm. already and we don't even take it into consideration because there's nobody's job inside uh, the province to tot all this up and go, hmm, you know, or to look at the map of the region and look at all the different journeys people have to make mm-hmm. and say, how can we make that easier for people? Here in, in St. John's, the, transport, the Transit Commission has that role, but they have it, by and large, on behalf of the ratepayers of St. John's. There isn't a wider... I can't blame them for not taking a wider regional perspective because it's not in their mandate, mm-hmm. but somebody, it should be somebody's job to look at this. Just to add to the social and economic benefits too, um, a lot of people and families spend a huge portion of their income on maintaining a vehicle, Mm -hmm. Um, fossil fuel costs, uh, insurance costs. Uh, We have the highest insurance costs in the country. People are spending a huge chunk of their household budgets 
on vehicles and like their upkeep and what it costs to drive them and if there were other options so that we could free up that part of the household budget to be spent on other things in the community um i think that is also something that would have a very positive impact because right now all those funds are going to fossil fuel companies or they're going to insurance companies or they're going to car companies Mm -hmm. and the local community isn't seeing any of that it would even free people's time up to do more volunteer work right Mm -hmm. like people could volunteer and help out in the community more if they could people who have free time very often older people for whom driving around is real hassle such an important thread through what both of you are saying is the cost of not having effective transit. Mm-hmm. And, and like you've both acknowledged, we talk or we hear a lot about um, what the costs could be of doing regional transit, of doing transit better. Um, and we even framed the question what the benefits are of doing um, regional transit or better transit. But it's important to acknowledge those costs involved with not having effective mm-hmm. transit. To take a step back for a second, we've mentioned um, earlier some of the other cities around the world um, that we think of when we think of good transit, or at least when we think of a focus on transit. So we think of Toronto, Vancouver, New York, London, um, Atlanta, Canada, we don't always think of a focus on transit. But how can we look to these other cities um, and adopt some um, benefits um, from their model, some of what works from their model, or are there other other cities that come to mind that we could um, adopt and adapt from? Right now, I think um, Halifax has been working on like a sustainable transit plan for a few years, and one of the things they're working into it is making like cycling more attractive and making sure transit routes and cycling routes are connected Mm -hmm. so that people can use them both in tandem and I was doing some research recently I was sort of thinking like what other parts of the world have to deal with similar problems as we do so like it's kind of cold we're sparsely populated and so I was sort of thinking like what do northern European countries do to service and provide mobility for sparsely populated communities in cold weather Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see like the way that car culture has won a little bit less in europe than it has in north america Mm -hmm. and like cycling cycling culture has has won a little more there i was reading a study about denmark the netherlands and germany talking about how they created pro cycling policies they had a similar dip in the 50s of like people not cycling so much anymore and and made an intentional effort and, and policy agenda around um, having more people cycle and making it an attractive option in, in partnership with, with busing and trains. And so things they did were making sure that peop- like there were safe bike, bike lanes and that like the right-of-way often goes to cyclists on the roads and they have, they're allowed to cycle on certain roads in the city that cars aren't allowed to cycle in. There's another like part of it called traffic calming, which I think is interesting because it makes it more attractive to cycle and it makes it a little bit less attractive to drive. And like drive is, driving, I think, is something we've really oversold the convenience of. So like starting to put that on less of a pedestal. Um, For example, in like heavy cycling areas, um, they've implemented 30 kilometer an hour speed limits. 
sometimes putting like partitions in roads so they can only be used for cycling and not for driving. And they really successfully rebounded cycling and it has a really positive impact on the fairness of mobility and like the healthiness of people's lifestyles. Portland, Oregon has done it as well, like a sort of a unique example in North America. Um, so I think it could be done, just hasn't because I think as David was saying, like we, we don't have anyone to hold accountable for this in terms of people in power and and that i think needs to change this kind of leads nicely on to some stuff that you might have been hearing about recently in places like estonia paris um and other places uh, around the world have been experimenting with free as a, a mm. transit model and i think uh this has a lot of potential i think the internet has actually taught us a lot about the power of free I'll use Skype as an example. For decades, people had said, we have the technology, teleconferencing is going to be super useful, people are going to be using video calls all the time. It never happened. As soon as it was a way was found to make it free, mm-hmm. boom, this unmet demand was suddenly there. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially in a, in a situation like here where... Um, the transit system has for a long time had a bad rap and people don't even think about trying it out, that uh, making a free transit system would reduce some of the operating costs of having to do all the fare collection and, and all of that and would get a lot of people trying and using the transit system who hadn't before and give everyone a stake in a working transit system because they could get in on it. They could try it. You wouldn't have to do any kind of, do I have any change? Like, is it worth the the money? No, you just get onto the bus and, and take it. And it's been found to be very successful in uh, in increasing adoption, something that isn't perhaps apparent, but like we're already paying two-thirds of the cost for each person every, every journey they take. Mm-hmm. And most of the costs are already paid right like if you had 50 people on the bus or 10 people on the bus it's going to be the same cost to us so why not spread the the existing costs of that bus over much more people being able to take advantage of it if we get to a point where we have so many people taking the bus because it's free that we need to run more buses that would be a wonderful problem in my view to have right mm-hmm. then you know then then we could have a great conversation about how we need to spend even more money because people love the service i also think it's it's a little bit like bus fares are a little bit unfair maybe a lot unfair because already it's an option you're kind of forced to use right now if you can't afford a vehicle and so having the fare can just cause like an inconvenience or or a cost that can kind of add up you know we all pay for road upkeep and nobody really very often pays a fare to drive on the road it has a huge buy-in cost to be able to benefit from the tax dollars we all pay for roadway upkeep because the buy-in is like a very expensive vehicle mm-hmm. that costs a lot to maintain so i think like bickering over a 225 transit fare when, when we could just make it free seems like something that is it seems so meaningless in the grand scheme but 
it's it's a, like an inconvenience and a, and a tax on lower income people and and makes their daily lives harder for mm-hmm. no, for no mm-hmm. real benefit. I think that so much of this is just like changing the way that we're thinking about things. So I think like the approach about rethinking fares. Why is there a fare for taking the bus, but there's not a fare to drive on the streets? And rethinking the way that we um, think about cars as a primary method of transportation in the city and the incredible cost that we swallow as part of that. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to, and we've we talked quite a bit about the constraints in moving forward um, a system, a more regional system of transit, um, but can you speak a little bit to what your organizations are hoping to do to kind of bridge some of those gaps um, and per- perhaps um, develop a bit of consensus around the why and the how of moving forward um, with a more regional system of transit? Well, uh, now that the, the pair of elections has happened, I think now is a great time to go around to our newly elected representatives and say, let's put this on the table. Uh, I'm, I'm starting the process of doing that now. Mm. I think as a bare minimum, what we need to do is say, let's make, a, let's make somebody inside the House of Assembly uh, responsible for looking at this issue. Mm. Let's fund somebody to look at the Northeast Avalon with a with a movement lens and see what would work. Like, just if, if there turns out to be a huge pent-up demand for people to get from Mount Pearl to Paradise, that's nobody's job to fulfill that mm-hmm. need, right? Nobody, it's on nobody's radar. So let's just map it out and look, look at best practices elsewhere and see, uh, see what can be done. The... The advantage, if you call it that, of uh, where we are is that we can start and have bold plans because there's everything to play for here. There's not a a huge sort of installed base of, well, there there is. There's a huge installed base of the way it's done, which is the car culture. But if we if we look past that and we say, well, how are we going to solve this with a with a holistic uh, movement lens? We can set up a system starting from almost from scratch that really works without having to like struggle with existing transit and other systems so let's let's do that let's look at look at elsewhere let's look at where people are going and where we think they're going to be wanting to go in future and let's start planning a a system not just a physical system but also a governance system for this that uh, will will get us get us moving in the right direction yeah, I think for quite a while there have been people working on regional transit. The near proposal comes to mind. A lot of hard work went into that, and it was unfortunate and hard to see it not succeed. I think one of the the major constraints, perhaps the biggest constraint, is is not that funding doesn't exist. It, it's getting the funding parceled or mm-hmm. earmarked for this issue. Um, so there's funding at the federal level. I'm not sure there's as much funding at the provincial level, but if there isn't, like it, it needs to be found somewhere. Um, and so I think the thing we need to do to make sure we can push for that funding is to create some public and some political will around the issue. Mm-hmm. So the Social Justice Co-op um, has been working for a while with the Coalition for Green New Deal holding town halls, talking to, it's only been in St. John so far, but we are planning on moving it out of the city as well, talking to people about like their 
vision for a green Newfoundland and Labrador and transit very much needs to be a part of that conversation just because it accounts for so much of our emissions um so i think like connecting with communities to understand as dave was saying the need like different routes that people are taking that aren't serviced and then like petitioning people in power on the basis of that momentum and and public will that really needs to be like fostered and facilitated um so that when we push political leaders there's something behind that that will make them act. I, I've looked into it, and I know there's funding at the federal level. We haven't had anyone in power saying, like, we are underserviced in transit. Like, we need some of this funding. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, the big challenge is connecting with communities and creating that will and, like, finding a way to, like, craft and communicate a message to people in power that, like, we're starting to think about transit differently and that people are realizing it's a basic service that they're not getting and that has never really been truly prioritized in in this province. On the funding piece, uh, the second half of the let's figure out the movement piece is let's figure out where all the costs provincially are that are that are being the money that's being wasted by their not being there. And I think if you took the two two pieces and set them off side by side, you'd find there's actually a good cost benefit to be made for uh, for a transit system, because of the amount of savings you could make down the line in in healthcare costs, in the mm-hmm. cost of running all these little weird systems, in the cost of people's time that is lost, and in the cost, for example, in lost tourism and in the difficulties p- people who immigrate here have. One of the things that is rarely discussed is that if you come here from a, another a country you may have to spend a year or more unable to drive because your license isn't recognized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are huge barriers for people who are coming here for the first time. And maybe unable to work because your credentials aren't recognized. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is only one aspect. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's it's a big big thing. On On the funding issue, the province has offered funding to the extent that the the feds have essentially levered it out of the province. Um, The feds have a program where if you want to buy a bus or a shelter or something physical, they will put up a large proportion, 40 to 50% of the cost, if the province and the municipalities will match some of that. Mm. But that only gets you, you, that, that only works if you have a plan to buy more buses. And then if you buy more buses and build more shelters, you then have to run them. And that's where it's all fallen down because there's no provincial support for uh, operating costs. So we're limited by the ambition of the council. Now, the, the St. John's council here, and I should say at this point, the time to act there is also right now because the council is about to uh, unveil a report spelling out, uh, a consultant's report spelling out some recommendations for how the buses should run in St. John's for the next five years. Uh, that will then be discussed by council. Um, when I find out about what that contains, uh, I'll be shouting about it. Uh, I hope the council will also be um, publicizing it. But it's really incumbent on you to, uh, if you live here in St. John's, uh, to talk to your councillors and say, I'm very excited by, uh, I want to see us pay more towards transit to get a transit system that really works please back this. And in fact, I'd like to see it go further. And if you make a noise to say, this is not ambitious enough, I will support you on that too. 
that's the way that we could we could make it happen. Um, but also go, as I said, to your MHAs and say, you know what, the time has come to you. You see, we have a go go ahead council at St. John's who'd like to do more. Help them to make that next step. I think such an important point that both of you have raised is the integrated and connected nature of transit and how much it threads through all facets of life. We've talked about the economic um, effects, the social effects, um, health, um, and everything else about how we move around um, a city or region. Um, And that's something, uh, Leah, you mentioned um, Halifax Regional Municipality, and a few years ago they released an integrated mobility plan, and Happy City has been involved in um, trying to advocate for a similar approach, you know, thinking about how citizens get from point A to point B um, in the healthiest, most effective manner possible. Um, so I think that's such a, such an important framing um, when we talk about changing hearts and minds in this conversation. So I think all three organizations that are represented around this table um, are engaged in the conversation with Transit. Um, how would you suggest that uh, people get involved in the conversation around regional transit? If you're looking to get involved sooner rather than later, um, the Social Justice Co-op does have three different events next week. On November 4th at City Hall at 4.30, the Coalition for a Green New Deal collected signatures at the climate strike, petitioning the city of St. John's to declare climate emergency. So councillors Maggie Burton and Ian Froud have presented that petition to the council and they're going to debate on it and vote on it on Monday at 4.30. So the Coalition for a Green New Deal and the Social Justice Co-op uh, will be there in the council chambers to show like there's community support for this petition. Um, kind of like Dave was saying, like our councillors' ability to act depends on whether or not we push them. So we're inviting members of the public who are interested in a greener city and region to come out and show their support for that petition. Also on Tuesday uh, at 7, I believe, um, we're having a a Coalition for Green New Deal organizing meeting. So that's a meeting you can come to if you have an idea that you want to start enacting in the community or if you want to get involved in somebody else's project. Transit is a part of what we're working on, mm-hmm. very a very big part of what we're working on in the Coalition for a Green New Deal. So if you're interested in, in organizing the community or in writing alternative policy proposals, that's something we're doing with that coalition that I'm finding is a lot of fun and very exciting. And we're having green new drinks on Wednesday. That one's about independent media, uh, but still a good way to meet people in the community. Um, that's at Bitters at 7 um, on Wednesday. We just get together for a couple of drinks and a speaker and some chatting about what we can do to improve our community together. I'm hopeful that, uh, and this is something that's been planned and hoped for since uh, since the summer, that we will get the consultant's report from St. John's uh, from from Metrobus, which will then lead on to to discussion in council next week. If you uh, don't already, um, head over to uh, the Facebook and uh, look for Central Transit Association. I will be summarizing what is going, what's in that document, and uh, I hope with the help of anybody who wants to to pitch in and get involved to set put up put forward a series of of comments on their recommendations and our own recommendations uh, to put uh, to council when they meet within 
they'll be meeting probably on this before the end of this month. Um, make sure that your voice is heard uh, with your counsellor. And as I said, uh, talk to your MHA as well, because uh, I, I truly feel that the, uh, the, the piece that's missing is the provincial piece. And to a lesser extent, other organizations as well, like MUN. Um, we hadn't talked about the U-Pass, but, you know, if uh, MUN would stand to benefit from more students taking transit because they wouldn't have to build or maintain so many parking spots, maybe they mm-hmm. could kick in a little bit towards uh, a future uh, transit policy. There are a bunch of organizations and departments and so on uh, who could be feeding into this and, and helping um, the already stretched council to achieve its goals. Uh, if the council felt, I think, that it had some support and funding from elsewhere, it could have uh, more ambitious plans and we want to try and make them feel more comfortable but about the, the future there. So next week and the week after will be crucial in uh, in getting through this. Great. Well, I think both of you have said it that the time is now. Um, there's mm-hmm. a certain appetite uh, for this type of conversation, specifically framing it around the climate crisis. Um, so I really want to thank both of you for the work that you're doing um, to to advance this conversation and to organize around this conversation. Um, before we end off, I'm just wondering if there's anything we missed or anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today. One thing I wanted to throw in, um, I think... David is right that there's there's the piece like the really weakest piece is at the provincial level, political will at the provincial level. But I also think that we have a very like new fledgling minority federal government who's going to be looking for some wins. And so I think being in contact with our federal MPs, uh, Jack Harris, Seamus O'Regan, Ken McDonald, and encouraging them to work together to carve out maybe some federal funding for a pilot program. Mm-hmm. I think a pilot program that connected Conception Bay North and CBS to the city via bus routes could be a really good example of how this could work mm-hmm. and, and could help people get to and from work, uh, people with long commutes a little more easily and safely. And I think you know the federal NDP uh, committed funding um, in their platform to build better, greener transit and the liberals, I think, would be open to funding a sort of pilot program um, because that is like a politically like an attractive thing to do. And if it's if it's successful, can be pointed to as like something that a new minority government came together and did well on. Mm-hmm. And I think like we don't have a federal legislator that's used to working as a minority. So there's room for the public really to have an impact on what the priorities are, and we need to take that opportunity. Yeah, there is a, there, there's a, I, I spoke to Seamus O'Regan before the election, and, and uh, we talked a little bit about the operating expenses problem, and he did say that he felt that um, the one-size-fits-all, our funding is for infrastructure, might need to be looked at again because of the unique challenges that uh, we're, we're facing here in Atlantic Canada. So there's an opening there, and it is... Uh, it was in the manifesto for the uh, for the NDP that uh, they would fund free transit for places that felt that they wanted to try that out, and uh, that obviously has operating expenses implications there. So I think that there is a there is an opening there uh, for federal money, which would again hugely help. My my last kind of point though, just to step back and say, if you as a regular car owning person I've been listening to this so far and uh, I haven't already shut off and because you think like 
It's, what's this got to do with me? Well, uh, I just ask you to think again. Think about what your life, how your life could be made easier if uh, you had that other option. Uh, you wouldn't have to you wrestle for parking spaces because there wouldn't be so many cars because people would, could, could come in. If you were coming into work uh, a long distance, you could be sitting there reading a book or on a laptop and not having to worry about the, the weather because somebody else would do the driving for you. Uh, your, uh, your kids wouldn't be after you to get them to someplace. In your elderly relatives, you wouldn't have to worry about them being cut off from you because you couldn't get to them this week uh, and they couldn't get out of the house to join their friends because that part would be taken care of. This is not an issue for... Uh, this is not a nice to have uh, that would be nice if only we had the money, which we don't, to do something better for other people. This is something that is that can be tackled and that is relevant for everyone and a vital service. As uh, So please think about that, everyone who could benefit. Mm-hmm. And that means you. So we certainly encourage our listeners to um, check out Essential Transit Association on Facebook um, and the Social Justice Cooperative. Um, and if folks are interested in engaging with Happy City on this issue too, we would welcome that. Um, and, and people can check us out on our website um, or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Happy City St. John's. Um, so thank you so much to those who tuned in today. And thank you so much to Leah and David for being um, in studio with us today. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Happy City Radio, a joint production of Happy City St. John's and 93.5 CHMR-FM. 